Page 141, for those of you hooked on page numbers, Tom. And we're in a new chapter, chapter 13. Who knows the title yet? Knowing God's Will. Now, how many guys would say that might be somewhat of an important question to ask at least one time after you've been saved? Praise God, at least one. That is the correct response, Tom. That should be a shocking response. Excuse me, uh, that should be what we do. Uh, Paul says, Romans chapter 6, every single day we get out of bed, you choose to be an instrument of wickedness or an instrument of righteousness. And if you want to be that instrument of righteousness, you better know what righteousness is, i.e. the pathway of God's will. Because everything that God does is right. Okay, and as we've seen, this is the pathway to a good life. Okay, but it starts with knowing God's will. Let's take a look at the top there. What can I do? Okay, and here's what he says. The decision would affect the rest of my life. To be honest, it was a little scary. What if she was not the right one for me? What if I stopped loving her after a few months or years? After I say I do, there's no turning back. Tom, what do you do? What? Ask God. Correct answer. That's right. And that's what he says. Hey, I am sure that you can relate to the intensity of some of the previous searching questions. You've probably faced such a life-changing decision as well. Some decisions are so important that we fear making a mistake or missing God's best for our lives, right? And often these tough decisions deal with career or they deal with the family issues and we want God's will in these decisions, but how will we find it? Underline that, put some asterisks around it, throw in some parentheses, as always, do some stars. If you're really artistic, uh, do some fireworks shooting towards it. Do what you gotta do, but that's the whole thrust of the study. How do we find it, okay? And uh, he says, how do we really know what is God's will, God's word, if you will, on the matter? Well, I have good news. John knows all the answers, so talk to him after the study. Let's close in prayer. Hey, praise God. Okay, well, let's get serious. Uh, we can discern what God's will is for our lives in this chapter, and we will find out how. Ooh, he's just baiting you, Ruth, isn't he? Just making you wait. Okay, can I cut to the chase? Uh, it's right uh, here. It's in the Bible. Okay. What I'm learning is, as I was going through this study, guys, I really think that the issue is not so much is it knowing God's will. The big issue that I think we struggle with is doing God's will. Because I really don't think nine times out of ten or even more than that, we know what's right. We know what we need to do. We just don't do it. Okay? And I think sometimes, maybe early on as a Christian, I'd say there's a little bit more genuineness, uh, if you will, to this question, knowing. And even as adults, if we've been saved for a while, I think there are some big times, like a career or family issues or moving, you know, things like that. Life changes. There, there are some decisions you want to know God's will. I think that's true. But typically, uh, idealistically, as we go as a Christian, it's really not that hard. It's really not that difficult. It's really not that complicated. It certainly isn't anything like with the Jewish people and has 600 and some odd commandments. You had to memorize every single one. And oh no, what do we do? If it's raining on a Thursday and the neighbor says this and I have to do this, but I'm wearing this and with only one shoe on, what do I do? You know, and, and we talked before, in all seriousness, that's almost what they had it dialed into. It was just, it was crazy. And so Jesus appears on the scene, but man, you guys are a stumbling block, you know? And uh, he used some pretty strong words there. But anyway, but it's not really that difficult. But early on, I would say, typically, that's a genuine thing, okay? Like, how, how did I know that it was God's will for me uh, eight weeks after I was saved to go to Bible college? How did I know uh, that he had called me uh, into teaching ministry, pastoral ministry? How, those are important things, right? Well, sometimes I think you know right off the bat, okay, is, is, is what I would say sometimes, uh, that uh, he just, he kind of lets you know in a pretty blunt way. 
Okay, sometimes, uh, like for instance, uh, why did I end up in Bible college? Hey, it wasn't just, you know, some angel came through the sky uh, uh, 18 years, 19 years before I ever met him. A vision of John's head appeared in my bathroom window. And he told me, Billy, here's what God, you know, it didn't work that way. Okay, Uh, sometimes you kind of know right off the bat, God just kind of gives you a a desire or you're going to see it clearly in the word of God. Uh, Two, uh, certain things uh, he'll let you know, but he wants you to get going. I was talking to a guy today. He was talking about another internship thing, and uh, from, he's from Texas, and I'm just laying on the line, what are you waiting for, you know? And uh, just, you know, but how do you know, that's a big decision, well, how, you know, we were going through that whole issue. I said, you know what, just, just, the first thing you need to ask, is this, God, what you want me to do, and leave the results with him? Don't worry about the provision, don't worry about all this stuff, is this what he, he's wanting you to do, okay? And I gave the classic analogy that I've shared with you before, the parked car versus the moving car, Right? And knowing God's will and discovering God's will uh, for, for what he would have you to do. Uh, which is easier to steer? A car that's parked in the driveway? Or one at least that's moving down the road? Right? Whole lot easier. It's exact same vehicle. It's got the exact same equipment. But if you get moving, you may not be to your destination yet, but at least you're out of the driveway. All right? And what we're going to see, folks, is just oftentimes without, yes, we want to know the big ones. You know, God, what have you called me to do? Uh, you tell me that you, in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10, that you've saved me and you prepared for this life to do by your spirit good works in advance for me to do. That's exciting. What are those good works? He might let you know some of them off the bat. I didn't know that he called me into pastoral teaching ministry until four years into Bible college. But what did I do? I got out of the driveway. I just prayed one day and I, I, I said, God, I, I was like two weeks old in the Lord. And I said, God, I just I read, was reading the Bible. Figure that's what you're supposed to do. Okay. Didn't have to read verses. It says you have to read God, you know. And so then I closed it and said, God, I want to know more. Next day I woke up with the idea of the Bible college in my brain. Eight weeks later, after I got saved, I'm in Bible college. I, did, I, did I have a clue? Did I know God's perfect will, the plan for the next 20 years, the step plan, and here's what? No, I didn't know nothing. It's almost like he's been writing a book or something. It's the analogy I use. I'm just going along for the ride, and he's writing the story, and he just keeps turning the pages, one page at a time, though. Okay, when he gets done, then he'll start a new chapter, things of that nature. He's doing it. But I, I figured, you know what? You got nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose to study God's word. And you know what? If he's called me into something like that, I think he'll let me know. But how can you lose studying God's word, okay? And so sometimes you're going to know kind of right off the bat. Sometimes it's going to be a discovery process. But again, I really don't think a lot of these things, the specifics, it's not that difficult. I think it's a little game that we play. We act like we don't know or it's complicated or we talked about this before. We want to say, well, uh, man, that's just one of those gray areas. No, I really don't think so. I told you guys before what I personally have learned. Okay, even if you haven't memorized every verse in the Bible, okay, uh, so to speak, uh, all you got to do is ask yourself two questions. I don't care what it is, what decision, what you're doing, anything. Ask yourself two questions. Is this thing, this event, this desire, this direction, whatever, is this going to help or hinder my walk with Jesus Christ? Is this going to help or hinder my witness for Jesus Christ? You ask that question, bang. If your heart is open to what God would share with you, he'll tell you right away. He will tell you right away. And it's, so I've learned, guys, really and honestly, other than some of the big giant ones, maybe early on, uh, and then as we come across them later, some of the big ones, it's not really knowing, it's a matter of doing, okay? Let's, let, me give, let me give an example of that. Is it really that hard uh, to discover God's will? Matthew 22, turn there, okay? Matthew 22. If you find Matthew 22, what do you do? 
Hey, you see there, that's right. And turn to verse 34. We'll grab the context here. You don't have to get up as a Christian as you turn there. You don't have to sit there and wonder, Oh, God, I'm just in such a quandary. If I only knew your will for today, I, I can't take a step out of the house until I know what you've called me to do. It's such a quandary I'm in. I'm just going to pray and fast for 15 years. Maybe I'll have to sign up for that prayer and fasting conference this weekend in Las Vegas with meals included uh, that I can go to. Yeah, you got that one. And then uh, I, maybe I can finally discover... Man, read the Bible. There's so much stuff that God reveals in his word for us to do. It's going to keep you busy. Okay? And he narrows it down. You don't have to memorize the whole Bible. Matthew 22. Let's start with verse uh, 34. Okay? Is what uh, Jesus would share with you and I. And here's what he says. Okay? Here, uh, now, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question. <laughs> Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God whenever it's convenient. No. Uh, with all your heart, now listen, all your uh, soul and all your mind. It's not just your heart, mind, and soul. It's all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Now, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And oh, by the way, the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, hey, I narrowed it down. I took all your 600 and some odd goofy rules where you can't spit on the ground on the Sabbath because if you spit on the ground, it's considered work and you're violating the Sabbath because when you spit, the spittle hits the dirt and the, the trajectory of the spittle makes it roll, the dirt roll, and that's considered plowing. That was an actual law. Okay, I don't have to memorize all that kind of goofy stuff. You know what's going to keep me busy all day long? Just do these two things, man. I mean, you don't have to pray and fast. You don't, you don't need a conference for this. Every day you get out of bed, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And by the way, get busy loving other people in Jesus' name. Man, that'll keep you busy. Right? Narrow it down. God, should I... Uh, this person said something nasty to me. Should I lash out back at them? Well, is that loving God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul? Is that loving your neighbor as yourself? Is that how you want to be treated? Well, that narrows down that position, doesn't it? Well, hey, God, should I go and, and buy this extravagant thing and do whatever? Is that loving God with all your heart, with all your mind and all yourself? And Well, God, man, just those two will keep you busy. But you guys need more specifics. I know that. So let's go to one of the most specific. Oh, what a book to do an expository uh, study on. First Thessalonians. Don't think too much of this book, but boy, is there lots of practical uh, steps in that, baby. Let's turn there. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Mm. Right on. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's find out if we could discover what is God's will. Is it really that hard? Do we need a class on this? First Thessalonians chapter four. Here's what Paul says. Finally, brothers, we instructed you on how to live in order to what? Please God. Okay. How many guys would like to please God? Okay. The rest of you will keep praying for you. All right. But uh, may the Lord, <laughs> how to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this what? More and more. Don't just please God once in a while. Don't say, hey, that was a pretty good week. I wasn't too nasty as a Christian this week. No, make it your aim more and more and more and be more like Jesus. Okay, Man, that'll keep you busy too, won't it? Loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Loving other people and pleasing God more and more and more and more and more. We can stop right there and close the book and wouldn't that keep us busy till we get to heaven? It's not that hard to figure out what God's will is. Okay, and he says this. He says more and more. 
is what he states there. Now let's continue on. He says, for, he says, you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you what? Be sanctified. Remember, that's what we dealt the last two times? Set apart. It is God's will for you to set yourself apart and say, yes, God, this is your life. These are your eyeballs. These are your ears. These are your hands. These are your feet. This is your life. What do you, every single day, want this life to do? It says it right there. It is God's will for that to happen. I'm such a spiritual Christian. I can do this and that and what. Have you set yourself apart? Do you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul? Do you love other people? I don't care what you say, you know. But it is God's will for this to take place? Is it really that hard? I'm telling you, as we go through this, and he's going to get even more specific, this is where I'm arriving at, is I don't really think it's an issue of knowing God's will so much as it is doing God's will is the factor. Okay? And here's what he says. He said, now, listen, it's not just that you be sanctified, but that you should avoid what? Sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is what? Holy and honorable. Not in a passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And, 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 and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to what? Live a holy life. That's his will. Oh God, if only I knew your will. I just have to know if you call me to reach the people in Africa, some big giant ministry thing, and maybe he has. But in the meantime, as you get the car out of the driveway until you find out the big one. These will keep you busy, won't they? In fact, maybe that's what God's waiting for. Maybe he's waiting to, I can't cut you loose with that ministry in Africa until you can do what is very, very plain. This is my will that you be sanctified, that you avoid sexual morality, that you live a holy life. And uh, he continues on. He said, the Lord will punish men such then. He says, therefore, whoever rejects this instruction does not re, uh, reject man, but who? God, okay, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we don't need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God uh, to love each other. What? In fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, don't just love them once in a while. Don't just pat yourself on the back when you actually got along with the potluck. What do you do? Man, I'm going to love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ more, and I'm going to find new ways to do great things for them. Man, that'll keep you busy, right? I mean, John's already demonstrated that. He bought me a, a Corvette and a big giant cookie, right? So more, he said more and more, John, so this, no pressure. It said love, okay? The word was love, agapae, okay? So let's, let's, let's close in prayer, but no. What? That'll keep you busy. Now flip over to chapter five. Chapter five, okay? Some more practical information there. Verses 12, we're gonna uh, start there. Now here's what he says. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. You know, your leadership. What? Are you serious? Yeah, that's God's will for you. He says this, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with who? The people that you like. Each other. What's the context? The church. That's right, Bill, you just got here and you already said the church. Man, that'll keep you busy. Can you imagine how? I'm starting to see a pattern here. I mean, there's so many things already revealed that God's will is, I don't have time to ask all this other stuff. I just got to get busy in the car, get down the road, get doing all, and he still ain't done. 
Okay? He says, live at peace with, with everyone. Uh, is that's what he says. And then he says, and we urge you, brother, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, uh, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong with wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Whoa! I better start working out because that's going to be a rough weekend. I think it's supposed to be every day though, isn't it, Ruth? It's not just once a week and for an hour. Put on your best game face. No, it's every day. Wow, that'll keep you busy. And be joyful when everything goes your way. Oh, I'm sorry, always. Wrong translation. Oh, and pray continually. Is something to do once in a while, maybe. And give thanks in most circumstances. Oh, all circumstances. Now, Ruth, come on. What are you, some sort of legalistic person? Here you are, you're ripping off all these things. I got to do do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. It's this and that. What are you trying to do? You, what are you trying to do? Turn, turn Christianity into some sort of man-made religion? No, what's the next line say? For this is God's will for you. Oh, God, if I only knew your will. Oh, please, if I, I can't take a step out of the driveway. If only, hey, do this. That'll keep you busy. How many times, how many times do we have to end up being a dry, crusty Christian and act like, oh, you know, we hit our head against the wall. We continually go down the wrong road. We continually get in a spiritual ditch. We continue to live in, without peace and without joy. We don't experience the fruit of the Spirit. How many times do we have to do that and realize that everything we need, it's right here. This is the good life. How many guys would love to have an absolutely, no, 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 not just absolutely. How many guys would like to have the absolute best life possible this side of heaven? Okay, that's a better response. Okay. It's right here. Not just knowing God's will. It's doing it. And can I tell you when we don't experience the best possible life? We know what's right. We just don't do it. And we act, we listen to our society or our sin nature or the enemy and we act like somehow following what God says to do is not the best way. Which is calling God a liar. It's not just knowing, it's a matter of doing. We need to realize that everything that we need is right there before us, but how many of us, it just sits there and collects dust. And we wonder why we're all dried up. It's one of my favorite analogies, and this is a true story. Uh, is the, the guys they're talking about uh, the Amazon River. I remember coming across this, and it was like, wow, that's a pretty interesting uh, aspect of that. I didn't know that. And, uh, but how many guys realize that the Amazon River is pretty big? Okay, listen how big it is, man. The Amazon River is the largest river in the world. The mouth of it, here's what blew me away. Just the mouth of it is 90 miles across. What? The mouth of the river is 90 miles across. In fact, so much water comes from the Amazon that its currents can be detected 200 miles out into the Atlantic. 200 miles. And now here's what's ironic. It's recorded that in ancient times, many sailors would get caught in the windless waters of the South Atlantic and would begin to drift helplessly and start dying of thirst. But sometimes other ships from South America who knew the area would come alongside and call out to them, what is your problem? 
And the other ships knew the area. They would exclaim, can you spare us some water? Our sailors are dying of thirst. Listen. And from the other ship would come the cry, just lower your buckets. You're in the mouth of the mighty Amazon River. You're surrounded by fresh water. And yet, it would appear, even though they were surrounded by fresh water, people actually died of thirst. And all it is, drop the bucket, drop the bucket. Can I tell you spiritually, guys, why do we get so dry and crusty? Why is there so much problems that we have in our walk with Jesus Christ? Because we're surrounded by this, and we never drop the bucket, and we dry up. And then we cry out, and we make these weird, thirsty statements. If only I knew God's will. What does he want me to do? Why am I having trouble? Why is Pastor Billy talking like this, Tom? It's an analogy. Roll with it. Okay. (laughs) It's because I'm not drinking. It's right here. And just as ironic, those guys actually died of thirst. How many Christians are dying up on their vine because they refuse to get into the book? Just there the whole time. Okay, so I just that's just your little precursor getting into the study. Why should I seek God's will is his next question. Well, um, don't you want to have the good life? It's right there. I'm telling you, it's all in the book. It's right there. How many times have we come with those nifty acronyms? Hey, the Bible. We all know what that stands for. The basic instructions before leaving earth. Ha, ha, ha. That's right. Can I translate that for you? That's what we're talking about here. Uh, that's the pathway to the good life. Yay! That's what it is, okay? Let's continue on. We return again to the passage that's come familiar to us. In fact, by now, you should have it memorized. Romans 12, verses one through two, Paul writes, I urge you, okay, drop your buckets, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. Okay, where's it at? It's right there. What's he talking about? Renew your mind with what? Right here. Drop the bucket, okay? Renew your mind, okay? Get saturated with it, okay? That's where you're gonna prove what the will of God. And notice what kind it is. It's good. This is a good life. The good and acceptable and perfect. This passage, he says, has some very important things to say about knowing God's will. Notice first uh, that to be able to prove, okay, uh, what God's will is, we must be allowing our minds to be renewed. As we studied in our last lesson, the renewing, is your next blank there, the renewing of our mind is essential to develop habits of godly living and to overall Christian maturity. And dare I say, in knowing God's will. I really think, by and large, you can just ask those two questions. I don't buy this gray area stuff, baloney, okay? But if you want to get to specifics, if you want to keep yourself busy, if you ever find yourself as a Christian, well, gee, I've arrived at that incredible plateau. I am so holy right now, I know everything. Just, I dare you, ask me a question about the Bible. Well, first of all, keep reading the Bible because that's called pride. Uh, Paul says, even to Timothy, you need to have a teachable spirit. Yes, even as a pastor, you need to keep on learning. Every Christian needs to have that. Okay, so apparently you skipped over that. Okay, but you need to continue uh, to do that. The Bible uh, is, tells us right here in God's word where to make the good choices. It's right there in the good book. Okay, it's plain. Uh, thus, it should not be surprising to find out uh, that to be able to discern God's will, we need to allow our minds to be renewed. Metamorpho uh, in the Greek there needs to be transformed from the inside out by God's word. Doing God's will should be the desire, 
the next blank there, the desire of every child of God, since his will is what? He, listen to this. We'll sit here and we'll base, we'll base our eternal salvation. Hey, thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to hell. I, I, I've never seen you face to face. I wasn't there when you died on the cross. Okay, 2,000 years ago, I'm just, ta- I'm, I'm banking my whole eternal destiny on what I read in this book, that you are going to save my soul from eternal damnation in hell forever and exchange if I would just call upon your name, ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins and repent of my sins, that you are going to save me and rescue me. I, I bank everything on that. Anybody else in the room? We won't even sneeze at that. But then God says, don't do this or do this and do that and somewhere else. When when non-Christians see that, they're not dumb. That's duplicit behavior. On the one breath you say, yeah, God's word needs to be there in the Bible. I'm banking my soul on what the Bible says about salvation in Christ. But then you know God's will and they even know God's will. Have you noticed that? They know what's right and wrong, by and large. If you went in there and you started acting like them, engaged in their sinful behavior, oh, they'd let you know, wouldn't they? And so when we do that, even they know, hey, there's something wrong going on there. On the one hand, you say you bank your eternal destiny on this, but on the other hand, you, it doesn't add up. And that's what he's talking about. It should be the desire of every child of God, since his will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. By the way we live, Christian, what impression of God's word are we giving the non-Christian? That it is good? That this is the best possible life? That we need to follow God more and more and more because this is it, this is it. Or do we give the impression like it's, eh, take it, leave it, ho-hum. You could fudge a little here, a little there, okay? I'm telling you the theme that I have for this study. Eh, yeah, it's called knowing God's will. But really practically... I think our biggest battle is in doing God's will. Okay, and that's what he's going to talk about on the next page. Well, in what areas of my life is God's will clear? And again, I'll say the same thing. I'm telling you, ask yourself those two questions. God, is this behavior, this attitude, uh, this activity, this decision, is this going to help or hinder my walk with Jesus Christ? Is this going to help or hinder uh, uh, my witness for Jesus Christ? Bang, you got it. Case closed. Okay, if you can't find that direct verse, which I'll guarantee if you keep looking, you're going to find the application Okay, uh, it's going to be in there. Okay, and in most of our everyday moral and ethical, is your next two blanks there, moral and ethical decisions, it's not difficult to know God's will since the principles are clearly outlined in his word. There are several passages that clearly outline God's will in specific areas. And the first one he's going to bring up, okay, is God's will in my reaction, is your blank there, God's will in my reaction to my sin. Okay? And again, is it really that hard? Yes, God says when you sin, you need to dance for joy. Yahoo! Yeah! I'm a disobedient child. Yeah. God loves me. It should grieve us. Why? Because the Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit, who is God. We should be concerned about sin. Not rationalize it. Well, I'm, I'm Irish. Or no, I'm German. No, I'm Irish German. No, I'm Irish, Irish German, Italian, Canadian. Eh? I don't care what your pedigree is. You don't rationalize sin. What is my reaction to my sin supposed to be? And, and, and sinful, is it really that hard to figure out? I, I, fortunately, I caught Kenny over here uh, earlier. I'm sorry, Kenny, you're here and I got to tell him. 
uh, at 7-Eleven, and he was there, and he, he was praying uh, right there in the aisle, about a little far from the cash register. He's just right by the Slurpee machine, and he was down here. He's praying up a storm. I said, whoa, Kenny, man, you're, what a godly testimony. This is awesome. What a prayer warrior. In the middle of 7-Eleven, the Spirit of God moved on you. And so I got over and figured out what he was doing, and he, I heard, overheard him. He says, God, should I steal the Slurpee or should I steal a Snicker bar? God, would you please let me know your will for the Slurpee or the Snicker bar? Which one do I steal? I'll pay for one, but which one do I get to steal, God? Is it really that hard? What is our reaction to sin? Uh, just say no. Okay? First uh, passage, Paul brings up 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8 through 10. Paul is writing for a second time to the church in Corinth. The first letter was very strong in rebuking them for their many what? Excesses and immaturity. Can I translate that? Sin. All kinds of stuff going on. Paul felt sorry for the fact that his letter had to be so harsh the first time he wrote it uh, for them, but he is rejoicing in the effect that the letter had on them. The letter made them what? Sorrowful to the point of what? I'm going to do it again. No, they turned around. They stopped. Discipline. You know, you discipline your kids because, man, I hope I get to do this again tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. I just can't wait for them to do something wrong. I just love this discipline thing. Makes my day. No. You do it, though, hopefully it curbs the behavior. And that's what Paul's saying, man, I broke my heart having to do this. I had to speak harshly to you. But it was to get you to stop for your own good, for repentance. Paul states this in verse 9 through 10. I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point uh, of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the what? Will of God. Why? Because he's trying to torture you. No. In order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Okay, things get worse. For the sorrow that's according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. There should be a sweetness in repentance. When you, God finally corrects you, yes, it hurts. Nobody likes it. But your eyes are open to something that you didn't see and you realize that you were in bondage and God is setting you free. So there's almost a sweetness in genuine repentance as well because you know God cares enough to intervene for your good, okay? Leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death, okay? Here we see that the sorrow over our sin that leads to repentance is clearly the will of God, okay? That's, that's an obvious one, okay? Let's go on the next one. God's will in my, oh, meddling time, my job. <laughs> what, God sees me at work? Yeah. He sees you everywhere. Are you serious? Bill, Bill. okay, Bill, fine. You're gonna make me do it. I'm going to share another story. It's one of my favorite. I think I've shared it before, but here it is. There was a very successful doctor who had it all. Fame, money, nice things, the party life, act. But the stress of his vocation and the long hours he put in eventually led him to begin to drink him. What made matters worse was that every single night his fellow doctors had a routine of going to the local bar, really boozing it up before they had to face another hectic day. Well, finally, this kind of living began to take its toll on him. And even though he had all the things that people said would make him happy, he found himself totally miserable and all alone. And in the depth of his despair, this man cried out to God and there on the floor gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Well, the next day, the doctor was totally changed. He was no longer miserable and the deep loneliness had vanished. In fact, he found uh, that the money and the fame wasn't a primary concern for him. And for two weeks straight, he had declined the nightly offer from his friends to go booze it up at the bars. And finally, his co-workers couldn't take it any longer. And they asked him, what's up? Why the sudden change? And when he told them uh, that it was because he became a Christian, they just taunted him. 
They said, come on, man. We know how much you love to drink before. There's no way you can give it up just like that. Why, you mean to tell me, uh, tell us that if you came home from work one day totally stressed out and nobody was around to watch you and nobody would ever find out that you wouldn't have just one little drink for old time's sake. And the doctor simply replied, well, that's where you got it all wrong. You see, since I became a Christian, I realized that I'm never alone. God is with us wherever we go. He sees everything, not just Sunday mornings. He sees everything. Now, when you realize that in the scripture, boy, that, that'll, that'll curb some behavior, won't it? Okay, that's what he's talking about. Hey, listen, I, I, I've got so, so many horror stories of Christians in the workplace. It's, it's, it's a, it grieves your heart. Man, that's your mission field. If you're going to flip burgers, you better be the best burger flipper there is. Right? Whatever it is, you do it with, and that's, what, that's his text here, you do it with all your heart. I, can't, I had a, a non-Christian girl come up to me and, and just said, I absolutely, she was a waitress, I, I, I despise Sunday afternoons. I hate it. It's the worst day of the week, and she was adamant. But why? Because that's when all the Christians get out of church services. And they come in there and they complain about their food and they're always nitpicky. They're the nastiest people and they leave no tips or a pittance. Always want something better than their food. Wow, that's a witness. Hey, can I give you a tip on tips? Number one, when you go to a restaurant, be prepared. Take a video, take a gospel track, do something. But can I tell you something? If you lay a gospel track, make sure that you weren't nasty the whole time. And you know what? If you had a stale piece of bread, choke it down in the name of Jesus Christ and keep your mouth shut. And then when you leave a tip, leave a big one. Be a good witness for Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. It's a horrible, and that's, that's their job. I've talked to Christian employers. They have had it up to here. They are so sick and tired. You know the people that Christian employers absolutely do not want to hire? Christians. Because nine times out of 10, they take advantage of them. And what, 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 what is this, like some, some bubble that God can't get into? Hey, can I see what's going on in your workplace? <laughs> he sees it all. What's God's will in my job? Ephesians chapter six, verse five through six. Here's what Paul says. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not to uh, as eye service, as men pleasers. You know, just when your boss comes around the corner. Okay, but as slaves to Christ, doing the what? The will of God from the heart. Although Paul is discussing slaves here, most scholars agree that the abiding principle can be the employee-employer relationship of our day. Okay, we are to be model employees obediently serving in our jobs as unto Christ. We are to render service as to the Lord. Yes, we need to be obedient to our boss, but you're really not doing it for him. It's Jesus Christ. Whatever he has called you to do, whatever your vocation is, do it to the best of your ability for Jesus Christ. If he wants to get you a raise, he'll get you a raise. If he wants to get you a promotion, he'll get you a promotion. But if he doesn't, you keep serving him. Because you do it from the heart for him. Why? Because, oh God, if only I knew. I spend 40 hours a week at this place. Why? If only I knew what you would want me to do. Be the best employee. Make your boss's day. Make them every time they say you go, wow. I'm not even a Christian, but I'm going to say this. Praise God for sending you here. Because you're such a joy. 
I love having you around. You're a model. Why? Because it's God's will for you. He wants you to be a positive commercial. We've talked about that before. It's the Lord who will ultimately reward us for our faithful service. In addition, employers are exhorted to treat their employees with the same respect. Hey, if you're in the other shoe and you are a Christian, you own a business, don't be nasty to people. Be fair. Is that the way you want to be treated? Treat others the way you'd want to be treated. Hey, not even just owning a business. Are you in a position of management? Are you a tyrant as a Christian? Hey, I'm not saying you, gotta, you can't make tough decisions. Oftentimes you do. But are you dealing with a godly attitude and a godly heart? Are you treating others the way you want to be treated? Is that how you'd like to be approached if you got out of line and your boss over you had to call you on the carpet? It needs to work both ways. Hey, God's will in my sexual life is the next blank there. That's what he's talking about there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, Paul deals with another area, and this is the text that we read, but he's going to bring out more. Because oftentimes we go, oh, sexual immorality, uh, that's the big one. Mm. The Greek word that's there encompasses a whole lot. Okay, and let's take a look at what he says. He said, Paul deals with another area in God's will that is clear for our lives. He states, for this is the will of God, your sanctification or maturity, that is, that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. Now listen, the word translated sexual immorality in our verse is porneia. Listen, porneia includes, listen, incest, homosexuality, is your blank there, prostitution, unchastity, fornication, that's any kind of uh, sex outside of marriage, okay, and is used for every kind of unlawful sexual intercourse, period. Wow. Man, can, can I translate that whole? Uh, man, I, I hope I remember. What was that again? I, I can't do that. I'll just give you one word. Holy. Here's a question. We talked about this before, and this actually guy had challenged a couple who was uh, living in sin, committing fornication before they were married. Oh, is this okay? If you were standing before the throne room of God and all his holy angels, would you have a problem with that, sleeping together in front of him? You'd expect his stamp of approval. <gasps> Can, can, I, can I lay the bombshell on you scripturally in what we just read in the analogy, which is based on biblical uh, truth that God's omnipresence and that we have become his holy temple? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Uh, he is with you. The deeds that we do with these bodies are in front of the view of the holy God and his holy angels. I'll never forget, man, an instructor said this. What do you want to have as your last act here on earth? Isn't that wild? Because one day it's going to come for each one of us, right? Maybe it's the rapture. Okay, that can happen. Could happen right now. Yes, please, because this is convicting. Come, Jesus, come. Let him close in prayer. <laughs> okay, it, it could happen, but, or we could die, Right? Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be the most ideal way to go that you're, you're leading some, it wasn't Kenny down there, should I steal the Slurpee? Should I steal the Snickers? Should I steal it? That he was down there with another person leading them to Christ. Bang, he went to heaven. Wouldn't that be the way to go? What's gonna be our last? It's, oh, I hope it's not something like that. And then bang, you stand before God. 
That's his will for us. We need to abstain from that. He wants us to be holy. Why? Because he is holy. He wants us to be those positive commercials to Jesus. He wants us to say, because what, what is a holy life? A holy life is one that lives this by his spirit. A holy life is saying, hey, look, this is the best way to go. This really is. I'm not just saying it with mouth. I'm living it. I really believe this is God's will is the best way. And you live it out. And you can sit there and say, oh, absolutely, I agree with that, uh-huh, 100%. But if you're engaged in all kinds of unholy things, you are basically, you're being a hypocrite. You're being a bad commercial. Okay, there has to be a consistency. And that's what he says. He says, this combined with the thought of sanctification is the goal of uh, abstaining from this immorality would force us to include, I spit that one out, Sparky, force us to include in our day any type of pornography or uh, even illicit sexual thoughts. If we do not abstain from such practices, the text there says we are rejecting God himself. God's will for our sexual life is for us to abstain from sexual immorality and preserve sexual intimacy solely for the marriage relationship. Okay? The marriage relationship. Why? Because that's God's will for you. Yeah, but I... I, I'm. No, that's God's will for you. Yeah, but see, I mean, that's, you know, he, he, you know, he know, no, that's God's will for you. I'm not making this up. This ain't one of the ones that in the Southern Hebrew that you do have to attend that prayer and fasting conference and hopefully somebody can give you a word from God. No, it's right there. That's black and white. Why? Because he wants you to resemble him. Do not be conformed to this world. Be like Christ. He's given you all the sufficiencies to do it. He wants you to be a positive commercial. I'll, I'll close with, actually, it's kind of a humorous joke, but then you start to think about it. Man, it's kind of not that funny, but it is kind of funny. But then it's not that funny. How's that? Let's just keep going around, shall we? No, let's, let's read it. I don't know who this was. Maybe it was Kenny, but maybe not. <laughs> Kenny, you're back, Yeah. I was sitting at the stoplight this morning, and the lady in front of me was going through papers on the seat of her car. And when the light changed to green, she did not obey its command. John, a green light is a commandment, not a suggestion. And when the light turned to red, she still hadn't moved. So I began with my windows up, screaming strange words and beating on my steering wheel. My expressions of distress were interrupted by a policeman. Gun drawn, tapping on the window. Even though I protested by saying, you can't arrest me for hollering my own car, he ordered me into the back seat of his. So after about two hours in a holding cell, the arresting officer advised me that I was free to go. And so I said, I knew you couldn't arrest me for yelling in my own car. You haven't heard the last of this. And the officer replied, I didn't arrest you for shouting in your car. You see, I was directly behind you at the light. And I saw you screaming and beating your steering wheel. And I said to myself, what a loser, but there's nothing I can do to him for throwing a fit in this car. But then I noticed the cross hanging from your rearview mirror and the bright yellow choose life license tag and the Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker and the fish symbol and I thought for sure you must have stolen the car. <laughs> Ow! Gosh, I think I shared this before with all due respect to this gentleman. A pastor deliberately said to me, to the church, I purposely don't put any Christian symbols in my car. 
because I don't obey the speed limit. Because I don't want to be a bad witness. Ha, 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 ha. What? Is that what God's doing up there? Ha, 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 ha. Yep, that's my kids. They'll sit there and every morning they pray, Oh God, if only I knew your will. I'm telling you, what I've learned in life as a Christian, it's not knowing. It's the doing. And can I tell you something? It's not just when we don't do it, it hurts us. It hurts people around us. It grieves God's heart. And it's a horrid witness for Jesus. It's a rotten commercial. So we got a ways to go on this one. But please, as we get into this field, it's not just, woo, that's neat, and sit on it. Let's be those positive commercials. Let's slap 100 bumper stickers on our cars, amen? And be a positive commercial for Jesus. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, 
and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. That God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.